You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. time it is do you know what do you as i'm talking to you do you know what time it is it's time for another nine cents <laughs> all right okay so nine cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world i am your host adam campbell it is great to have you it is the fourth of november november the fourth we're already in november the year of the year the month of thanksgiving delicious foods drinks uh, family? Yeah, sometimes. Alright, anyway, I've got a great show for you this week. Before I dive into that, you know what? Yeah, I'll tell you about the show, and then I got a couple things to touch on for the week. The, the, the head, the, the beginning of the episode, as it were. I, I've got a lot of shit to talk about, actually. But, okay, so in The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to bring an article by Megas Peters Gilmore, Esprit de Corps, Infernal. We're going to talk about that, and you can find that in the Church of Satan website. In Infernal Informant, this was suggested to me to look at, and so, because I, you know, don't mind requests, and actually request requests, I think it's great. So thank you for sending this to me, Flat Earth Society. And this is actually a HuffPost article on it. So, Flat Earth Society says, Evidence of Round Planet, Part of Vast Conspiracy Theory. These people think the world is flat. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to talk about that article. And how secure is your electronic vote? It is the election season, and this coming week... This is another thing I want to talk about uh, after I, I give you the rundown here. This coming week is the presidential elections for the uh, United States. So... You know, how secure is your electronic vote? We'll talk about it. And in the creature feature, a little self-serving, a little deliciousness, I'm going to be talking to you about Nine Cents Presents, Satanist on Satanic Cinema, the Blue Velvet episode. I'm going to go a little criticisms that I've received, some pricing issues I've had to deal with, and a little bit about the next episode. So, look forward to that in the last half of the show. Okay, so the couple things I need to talk to you about. Well, at the very top, what did you guys think of last week's episode? The Greater Magic episode with Magus, or I'm sorry, Magistra, Peggy Dramia, and Anaya Sama. I, I loved it. I thought it was a little rushed. I actually cut out a significant portion. Um, and, uh, you know, edited it together so it, it sort of fit this, this frame that I wanted to present it in. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I loved having the conversation with those two women. I, I really enjoyed their company and I had a, it was a lot of fun talking to them because it, it's funny. We, we see the world, uh, through our own eyes, but every once in a while we get a taste of what it's like to see it through someone else's. And I really, really enjoyed their views on the subject. Even though at times they were very similar, uh, there were also times when they were in stark contrast. So that was that was very interesting for me, and I hope, I trust, for you. And I've gotten feedback saying that, so I'm going to take it as such. <laughs> All right, and I've got a friend of mine, and I don't remember know if any of you guys have ever even heard this, but 
uh, near the beginning of this show's existence last year, I had a friend on, and we talked about his comic uh, company, Tribe Comics. Well, I'm doing, or actually way, way back when I was in the Army, so years and years ago, I actually wrote a comic for them. So they had something called Satan's Cross, and I sort of took the comic over, rewrote it, you know, and released it through them. Well, they're finally putting that together. I'm making a cover for it, and uh, actually a couple covers, a rated R and then a rated X and a PG-13 version of the cover. But it's going to be coming out, and it's called Cross, and it is going to be super happy fantastic. So look forward to that in the coming years, because <laughs> who fucking knows when it's going to actually come out. No, it should be coming out like in a month or something. So I'm going to have Scott on, who is the gentleman behind Tribe Comics, and the original version of Cross, and I've had him on the show before. I love this guy. We're going to talk about it and bring it to you guys. Hopefully, it's entertaining. Hopefully, you like it, and maybe, you know, you can support, and, uh, you know, we'll put out a couple more of the series if you do enjoy it. But like I said, the extent of my participation is writing the story and uh, sort of fleshing out the characters a little bit more and putting together a cover. But the majority of the content comes from Tribe Comics and Scott himself. So look forward to that. Okay, and also, dude, I was writing... Okay, so because it's election season, you have billboards, you have TV ads, you have radio ads, you have mailers. Everything is talking about uh, elections. And even, well, for Congress and Senate, elections are coming up. So local, state, and federal elections. Well, I live in Utah, so our senator is Orrin Hatch... And he is a douche, a bag. I cannot stand this human being. And that is not just because he's a staunch Republican, because I actually have a lot of shocking to some of you to hear uh, Republican viewpoints. I'm a very much a fiscal conservative. Um, but reality tends to get in the way of things. So you can't always be a staunch fiscal conservative. You know, sometimes you have to borrow a little bit in order to get things done. And the fact that our entire country is based around borrowing money from the very beginning, it's not a big shock, and it's a little absurd that Tea Partiers are so against it, when they're also at the same time shouting that they need to return to the constitutional roots of our founding fathers. They were the ones that created the debt society, you idiots! Sorry. Back to the subject at hand. So Orrin Hatch has a billboard out, and I was driving home from work, same route I always do, I finally see this billboard for the first time, and it could have been there for a while, I don't know, but it was up there, and it said, Utah, it's our time, or it's our turn to lead. Utah, it's our turn to lead. Orrin Hatch has been our senator for six terms. Each term is a six-year period, and now it's time for... It's Utah's time to lead now? After 36 years of being in office now? This, and it would be a weird thing to say in any context or forum, but this is his re-election bid slogan. So he's saying that the past six years, or I'm sorry, the past six terms that I've been uh, leading Utah on the federal level, we haven't really been leading, and it wasn't really our time. But now, if you re-elect me, now it's our time to lead. What have you been doing for the last six terms, you asshat? Like, seriously, how is this even possible that that is your real election campaign slow? Now is our t- If this was your first term, if you were just trying to go into your first term, then I would understand the it is now our turn to lead. 
But the fact that you've been there for six terms tells me that you are a freaking moron, which I've always believed, so it's not a big shock now. Uh, but also that you have no idea, and all you're doing is like every other shit-eating, tea-party-ass-kissing Republican out there, playing on the emotional, eh, emotional chords on the retarded public that I have to share this planet with. It, it's infuriating. I mean, I started screaming at the billboard as I was passing it in my car at the shockingly retarded statement that that's making. Because what it's saying is that he has been a follower for six terms. For 36 years of being in office, he has done nothing to put Utah out in front of every other state on the on the national scale, as if somehow one state could be in front of everyone else. I mean, everyone knows Ohio's the only state that matters in this country. So, <laughs> especially around election times. So that that would be his slogan is so infuriating. And I cannot be the only one to see this, but I, I guarantee goddamn to you, he will get reelected. Because of fucking Utah's full of retards. Absolute, mentally handicapped retards. Running the state and living in the state. And it's just incredibly just shocking that this old man that really looks like a wax version of what an alien culture would create a lesbian old lady to look like. If that made sense, that's what he looks like. It's, it's like... <laughs> okay, do you guys remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood from back in the day? He had this, like, this little puppet with this... It was an old lady. I think she had like red or auburn hair. Really raggedy looking. Kind of scary. And actually, I was really scared of her as a little kid. Had this red nose. That's what this guy looks like. Except the human version, without the red nose, and a lesbian, great, no, okay, let me <laughs> stop here, because I actually, I don't have a problem with lesbians, I, I know, I know lesbians, I, I, in my own way, am a lesbian, <laughs> I like girls, so, there's nothing wrong with that element, it's the fact that it's a guy who looks like the stereotypical old, short-cropped hair, waxy, so, sort of pasty-skinned lesbian. Like, it just drives me crazy, that, that look that he has. And then, and then the way he votes. <laughs> and, and when he opens his mouth, just, just baby poop comes spewing out at lightning speeds. It's blah! Go Republican! Like, that was the whole thing. It's so infuriating. So, he didn't mind spending money until the Tea Party came into power, and then suddenly he like, had to jump back and, oh, we have to be super conservative and we can't spend any money no matter how big of a damn mess our country is in. And it's just so shocking to me. I really hate it. And, and to, to really drive this whole rant home, he was elected the first time based on the premise that the senator before him had been there too long. And that there should be tighter limits on the service of public um, representatives. Ironic, 36 years later, he's running for another term. And now it's our time to lead. What the fuck? Alright. Okay, so I'd, <laughs> I'll stop on that. And before I, I jump into this show, uh, before I pop a freaking blood vessel... Let me take a sip here of my Malbec. Mm, 
complex. Uh, before I go on, I have a little announcement to make. Now, like I said, I, I have I have conservative values that are inherent within me, but I'm also a realist. And I know Mitt Romney is probably one of the worst human beings to uh, run a business or a country. I mean, he, he did a horrible job <laughs> with jobs in his own state. He made a living off of bankrupting companies. And that's not what, as a country, I think we need right now. So I'm not going to vote for him. However, I am a realist. And I understand that there's an opportunity, there's a chance... That this guy, because, you know, he's been lying and packs of, super PACs have been lying for in his, in his case, uh, for some months. And the public is stupid. So there's an opportunity he's gonna win. I'm gonna go on a limb. And when I first started, uh, my coverage at, if you can call it that, even speaking about the elections, I would tell you, or I did tell you that there is no way in hell Mitt Romney will see the... Mormon will not see the White House. Mitt Romney will not be president. I'm going to double down on that statement. Now, I know a lot of you people have been seeing local and uh, cable media coverage that's saying how close it is. And you know what? As far as the popular vote goes, it may be. But guess what? Our elections are not bought and paid for by the popular vote. Uh, and the Electoral College, I believe, and I'm willing to put uh, brass tacks here on the table... If that made any sense. Uh, I, I believe Obama is going to take the election again. And I'm going to state it right here, right now. And you know what? By the time some of you hear this, you'll already know. Because it's in a, just a couple days that the uh, election is going to happen. So, I am so confident that Obama will win. That I'm willing to take nine cents and put it out there as a bet. If, if the world is upside down in its view of what the United States government should be run by. A fucking Mormon who is a horrible businessman. If if we are going to be electing someone like him, well then, hell has frozen over, and the world has turned inside out and upside down, and you know what? Why should nine cents be any different? So, here it is. If Romney wins the election... Next week, you will not get nine cents, a satanic perspective of our modern world. You will not. You will get Jesus saves, a holy perspective of our corrupted modern world. That's right. If the rest of the world is going to go topsy-turvy, so am I. <laughs> I've been thinking about this all week. I, I kind of actually want him to win because I think it's going to be very funny if I do the show <laughs> that way. I can I can rub all the horrible stereotypes into it. I can just have a lot of fun with it. But um, I don't want I I don't want uh, Romney to win. So you know one of my shows being goofy, small price to pay uh, for being wrong for you know x amount of months. However, I'm, I'm confident he won't. So. <laughs> I guess you guys will know by the time you hear this episode whether or not next week's episode is going to be a nine cents or a Jesus saves. And I hope, I hope that you will tune in if the world does turn upside down and Romney wins. Tune into that Jesus saves episode because, uh, you know what? It's still me and it's going to be fun. So <laughs> if I can poke fun of, at, at Satanists with my nine cents presents a satanic ritual, 
bit that I did a little while ago, then uh, imagine what I can do to the uh, Jesus side of things. So, <laughs> look forward to that. Uh, or not, if Obama wins. And I gotta tell you, if Obama wins, I'm not gonna do it. I may at some point release a teaser of what it would have been like if uh, Obama wins. Eh, you know, who knows? So, let's go ahead. Uh, me stop ranting because we're all... Jeez. We're coming close to uh, 20 minutes in and I haven't even talked about the show at all. And dive into the devil's advocate. Right. Hold on. Another sip of mailbag. Now. You say why? I say why bother? How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? They don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul. And it becomes clear. Like it did for me. The first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. <laughs> I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Esprit de corps, infernal, loyalty as an organizational principle by Magus Peter H. Gilmore. Now, this particular article that I'm reading is from the churchofsatan.com, uh, as are a lot of really amazing articles. Okay, so I'm going to read the first two paragraphs here. It's, it's actually a pretty large article, but it touches on something that's a couple things that are very, very important. So I'm going to, I'm going to sort of give you my, uh, my nine cents. Uh, about it, and then you should really, if you haven't yet, go read it. The Church of Satan often confounds people who approach it as if it were simply like other religious organizations. They might incorrectly assume that we've swapped a horned figure for whatever fictional deity is held in esteem by the more commonplace herdfolk. It shocks them to find out that we don't have established church buildings since we ritualize and highly personalize spaces in our homes, and that we don't even mandate that people attend services or other formalized ritual practices for our members to be considered in good standing. The freedom which we offer and the flexibility towards wielding our philosophy is, I think, unique to our organization. However, that freedom and the requisite responsibility it entails should not be misinterpreted to mean that we have no standards, rules, or that our definitions are so malleable that Satanism can mean whatever anyone wants it to mean. Au contraire. Satanism is a rational, faithless philosophy created by Anton Xander LeVay, based on many differing prior individualist skinds of thought in the tapestry of human concepts. It is proven to be a unique and strikingly amalgam wedding theatricality and symbolism with reason, atheism, and skepticism to form an integrated structure which is quite a solid bit of idea architecture. 
and one which cannot be bastardized, else the structure should be diluted and thus no longer worthy of the name he gave it. During the earlier years of our history, Dr. LeVay had to deal with a few members who basically got lost in the symbolism, unable to grasp that the ritual chamber is a place for intellectual decompression. These individuals displayed a metaphysical version of the bends, dragging spirituality or mysticism up from the depths of the ritual psychodrama and outside of the ritual. They suffer spiritual narcosis, with a debilitating obsession for otherworldly issues virtually bubbling forth from their consciousness. <laughs> uh, you know, just as a side note, <laughs> Megas Gilmer has an amazing uh, way of uh, writing. I mean, he, he has a voice that his writing voice that is uh, unmistakable and really cuts to the core. Uh, it's really great. Okay, so to the to this article uh, specifically, what he speaks to to the rest of the article is the idea, and really Esprit de Corps uh, Infernal, is that Satanism is uh, a mutual admiration society of sorts. Now, this is sort of uh, a rule of thumb that the members that uh, are a part of the Church of Satan adhere to. And that is, if if you are working your hardest to present or produce a product or um, a project of significance to you, well then those in the organization that want to spread uh, your joy or their joy through their supporting of you will do that, even if they don't necessarily like that uh, project. They just want to help you uh, through their support. That's something that's a part of Satanism that, you know, a, a lot of other religions, they'll just sort of uh, tongue-in-cheek help you even if they think what you're doing is horrible because they kind of feel obligated. Well, Satanism doesn't really do that. Well, not really, just not at all. <laughs> if members see you as a person of worth, then they will support you if and when they feel like it. Uh, and if they don't, then they'll ignore you. And this is another one of those sort of rule of thumbs that the Church of Satan members uh, adhere to, is that we, we don't talk shit, <laughs> to, put it, to put it lightly, about other members of the Church of Satan. If we don't like a project that someone is, is working on, then we just don't address said project. I mean... <laughs> one of our sins is, is giving advice if uh, unasked. And so it's best to withhold your personal opinions unless you are asked what your personal opinion is. And this is something that members of the Church of Satan adhere to uh, quite well. We're all human, so at times things slip through the cracks. Not a big deal. But by and large, we will always support someone who is of worth, seen through the individual's eyes, not as the organization, and we'll ignore those whom we do not see as uh, of worth. And that is shockingly different than other organizations. So what happens when you do run across someone who, who sees this metaphysical Satan and, and decides to disband with the Church of Satan? Well, as Anton, I'm sorry, as uh, Megas Gilmore says in this article, you just ignore them. 
I mean, they're going to deconstruct in their own individual way. And, and that has nothing to do with the Church of Satan anymore. Because the moment that they stop seeing Satanism for what Anton LaVey created it as, well, then they are no longer Satanists. They have been taken themselves out. They have resigned themselves. And at that point on, ignore them. They no longer exist to the world of Satanism. They no longer exist to the Church of Satan. To address them or to meet them toe-to-toe -to -toe and battle it out vocally would be to diminish what it means, that sort of rule of thumb that the Church of Satan stands for. Solidarity in belief and understanding of Anton LaVey's creation of Satanism, that, that, that wonderful philosophy that we all live our lives by, and, and those of us who, who champion it so much that we actually join the organization that's the standard bearer of Satanism. But to debate it or to, 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 to argue it with, with former members, um, you're, really, you're, you're really tainting it. Because what you're doing is you're saying that their opinion is as valid as yours, enough to argue. And that's just not the case. <laughs> All things are not created equal. All ideas do not have equal relevance. And a former member is not <laughs> a Satanist. And they do not deserve the, the respect that we show other Satanists. They are unworthy. This is uh, really a fantastic article, and, and, and I'm just touching on, on tiny, tiny parts of it. You really, really have to get into it. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of those things where if, if you're a Satanist and you want, to, um, if you want to champion Satanism, and you make that decision to join the organization, the Church of Satan, well then there's a, sort of a, a responsibility that's incumbent upon you. And that is when you are directly um, addressed with <laughs> lies about Satanism. You know, if you uh, deem it safe, you are obligated to correct them. We cannot abide these pseudos spreading around their version. And, and you can always tell, and this has been stated uh, many, many times by many, many uh, amazing people, they always reference it as Levain Satanism. <laughs> there isn't any Levain Satanism. There isn't any modern Satanism. There is just Satanism. <laughs> and if we allow that construct to be fractured, we're really doing a disservice to the legacy of Anton Levain, and the legacy of the Church of Satan. So we choose not to. And we champion Satanism for what it is. The one and only rational, faithless philosophy that we all hold so close to our hearts. Uh, you know, and, and it's just... This article addresses um, that concept of pride and willingness to support those whom, you know, it's a mutual admiration society. So if we see something of worth, then we will champion it and we will support it. And if we don't, then we'll ignore it. And um, previous members, we ignore. And those who bring up 
asinine assumptions or ideas about, or, or try to redefine what Satanism is. We have to stand up and correct it. And it doesn't have to be from a stance of outing yourself. It can just be a stance of, well, actually, I've heard that before, and I looked into it, and that's actually not correct. You don't even have to out yourself. You can just correct the incorrect statement and move on. That's it. It's not a big deal. So, you know, I, I wanted to bring this to you because I think it's an amazing article, and th that idea of, of pride in Satanism as, as, a, as a rationale to join the Church of Satan, and, and that idea that this is very much a mutual admiration society. But it doesn't mean you have to uh, go out of your way to support or appreciate others. Uh, because quite, you know, we're realist. And then sometimes there's going to be someone who you cherish the same and have that strong satanic connection with, but you really don't like what they do, and you really don't like their... Um, uh, you know, their social values or or their philosophical, I'm sorry, their political uh, values. But as a Satanist, you respect them. Doesn't mean you have to support them. You know, it's interesting. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to the Infernal Informant because I've got some really crazy stuff to talk about there. Listen up, listen up. Hey, Good news. There's no devil. Bad news. Hell's no heaven. There's nothing to see. I'm your fellow informant. Alright, this is a Huffington Post article. Flat Earth Society says evidence of round planet part of vast conspiracy theory. This is posted on the 29th of October. And actually, this subject was brought by a listener. Thank you very much. And to out to anyone, if you want me to address the subject, if you want me to speak to a specific article or an idea or a guest, if you have someone you want me to talk to, I'll go out of my way to try to get it. And I'll go out of my way to talk about it. Because, uh, you know what? This is something that I think that you and I both together are doing. It's not just me putting it out there. You know, this is sort of a, a give and take here. So... Because of that, you know, I, I do listen to suggestions, and I'm more than happy to address them. This particular article is by Natalie uh, Wolchover, who's a staff writer. Members of the Flat Earth Society claim to believe the Earth is flat. Walking around on the planet's surface, it looks and feels flat. So they deem all evidence to the contrary, such as satellite photos of Earth as a sphere, to be fabrications of a round Earth conspiracy orchestrated by NASA and other government agencies. The belief that the Earth is flat has been described as the ultimate conspiracy theory, according to the Flat Earth Society's leadership. It ranks Its ranks have grown by 200 people, mostly Americans and Britons, per year since 2009. Judging by the exhaustive effort Flat Earthers have invested in the fleshing out the theory on their website, as well as the staunch defenses of their views they offer in media interviews and on Twitter, it would seem that these people genuinely believe the Earth is flat. But in the 21st century, how can they be serious? And if so, how is this psychologically possible? Through a flat Earther's eyes. First, a brief tour of the worldview of a flat earther. While riding off buckets of concrete evidence that Earth is spherical, they readily accept a laundry list of 
I'm sorry, propositions that some would call ludicrous. The leading flat earth theory holds that the earth is a disk with the Arctic Circle in the center and Antarctica, a 150 foot tall wall of ice around the entire rim. NASA employees, they say, guard this ice wall to prevent people from climbing over and falling off the disk. Earth's day and night cycle is explained by positioning that the sun and moon are spheres, measuring 32 miles, that move in circles 3,000 miles above the plane of the Earth. Stars, they say, move in a plane 3,100 miles up. Like spotlights, these celestial spheres illuminate different portions of the planet in a 24-hour cycle. Flat earthers believe there must also be an invisible anti-moon that obscures the moon during lunar eclipses. Furthermore, Earth's gravity is an illusion, they say. Objects do not accelerate downward. Instead, the disk of Earth accelerates upward at 32 feet per second squared, driven up by a mysterious force called dark energy. Currently, there is disagreement among flat earthers about whether or not Einstein's theory of relativity permits Earth to accelerate upward indefinitely without the planet actually surpassing the speed of light. Einstein's law apparently still hold in this alternate version of reality. <clears throat> As for what lies underneath this disk of Earth, this is unknown, but most flat earthers believe it is composed of rocks. <laughs> Then there's the conspiracy theory. Flat earthers believe photos of the globe are photoshopped. GPS devices are rigged to make airplane pilots think they are flying in straight lines around a sphere when they are actually flying in circles above a disk. The motive for world government's concealment of the true shape of the earth had not been ascertained, but flat earthers believe it is probably financial. In a nutshell, it would logically cost much less to fake a space program than to actually have one. So those in on the conspiracy profit from those funding NASA and other space agencies receive from the government, the Flat Earthers website fact explains. It's no joke. The theory follows from a mode of thought called the Zetetic Method, an alternative to the scientific method developed by a 19th century flat earther in which sensory observations reign supreme. Broadly, the method places a lot of emphasis on the reconciling empiricism and rationalism and making logical deductions based on empirical data. Flat Earth Society Vice President Michael Wilmore, an Irishman, told life's little mysteries. In Zetetic Astronomy, the perception that Earth is flat leads to the deduction that it is merely actually, that it must actually be flat. The anti-moon, NASA conspiracy, and all the rest of it are just rationalizations for how that might work in practice. These details make a Flat Earther's theory so elaborately absurd, it sounds like a joke, but many of its supporters genuinely consider it a more plausible model of astronomy than the one found in textbooks. In short, they ain't kidding. The question of belief and sincerity is one that comes up a lot, Wilmore said. If I had, actually he's Irish, if I had a guess, I would probably say that at least some of our members see the Flat Earth Society and the Flat Earth Theory as a kind of epistemological exercise, whether it's a critique of the scientific method, or it's kind of a solipsism for beginners. There are also probably 
I can't do that anymore. Some who thought the certifi uh, certificate would be kind of funny to have on their wall. That being said, I know many members personally, and I am fully convinced of their belief. Wilmore counts himself among the true believers. My own convictions are a result of philosophical introspection and a considerable body of data that I have personally observed and which I am still compiling, he said. Strangely, Wilmore and the society's president, a 35-year-old Virginia-born Londoner named Daniel Shenton, both think the evidence for global warming is strong, despite much of this evidence coming from satellite data gathered by NASA, the kingpin of the round earth conspiracy. They also accept evolution and most other mainstream tenets of science. Conser conspiracy theory psychology. As inconceivable, inconceivable, <laughs> Princess Brad there. As their beliefs... I, I, do not think they, I do not think that means what you think it means. Uh, as their beliefs seem... It doesn't really surprise experts. Karen Douglas, a psychologist at the University of Kent in the United Kingdom who studies the psychology of conspiracy theories, says flat earthers believe beliefs cohere with those of other conspiracy theorists she has studied. It seems to me that these people do generally believe that the earth is flat. I'm not saying anything that sounds as if they're just putting that idea out there for any other reason, Douglas told Life's Little Mysteries. She said all conspiracy theories share a basic thrust. They present an alternative theory about an important issue or event and construct an often vague explanation for why someone is covering up that true version of events. Once the major points of appeal is that explaining a big event is that they explain the big event, but often without going into detail, she said. A lot of the power lies in the fact that they are vague. The self-assured way in which conspiracy theorists stick to their story imbues that story with special appeal. After all, flat earthers are more adamant that the earth is flat than most people are that the earth is round. Probably because the rest of us feel we have nothing to prove. If you're faced with a minority viewpoint that is put forth in an intelligent, seemingly well-informed way, and when the proponents don't deviate from these strong opinions they have, they can be very influential. We call that minority influence, Douglas said. In a recent study, Eric Oliver and Tom Wood, political scientists at the University of Chicago, found that about half of Americans endorse at least one conspiracy theory, from the notion that the 9-11 was an inside job to JFK conspiracy. Many people are willing to believe many ideas that are directly in contradiction to a dominant cultural narrative, Oliver told Life's Little Mysteries. He says conspiratorial belief stems from a human tendency to perceive unseen forces at work, known as magical thinking. Hmm. Unseen forces at work. Uh, very similar to the God conspiracy. However, flat earthers don't fit entirely snugly into this general picture. Most conspiracy theories adopt many fringe theories, even ones that contradict each other. Meanwhile, flat earthers only hang up is the shape of the earth. If they were like other conspiracy theories, they should have exhibited a tendency toward a lot of magical thinking, such as belief in UFOs, ESP, ghosts, the devil, or unseen intentional forces. Oliver wrote in an email, It doesn't sound like they do, which makes them very anomalous, relative to most Americans who believe in conspiracy theories. As much as I love theories like this, I can't help but think, well... Yeah. <laughs> 
it, I guess I, what I'm trying to say is it doesn't really bother me that people think this way. Just as it doesn't really bother me that people believe in a God, as long as they don't try to shove or push that belief onto me. Now, here's the, the reality of it. Because I'm a Satanist, uh, I'm a skeptic. So I have a hard time believing virtually anything until I look into it, until I, I sort of make up my own mind by looking at different angles of the same thing. So this article gave me one very solid view of Flat Earthers. So I went to their website, kicking the tires a bit, and uh, the article presented them just as they present themselves, which is rare when it comes to sort of, in my opinion, nut jobs. But at least it was a fair portrayal, right? I mean, that's more than we can say on the, for the most about Satanism. I mean, we, we get a real shitty portrayal virtually every every time. So, uh, and the, here's here's the other problem is because for me, I I actually like conspiracy theories. Like I don't buy into them, but I enjoy them a lot. I love hearing them. And so when I heard about the flat earthers, I was really intrigued, and I sort of think it's fun. Like, this may come as a shock to some of you, but I, I believe that the Earth is round, of course, but I, I think this is a very fun theory. If you can have fun theories, or even if you can stretch the word theory to include this. Now, because I can identify with doubters, it's, uh, it's understandable that, you know, everything that we're taught as scientific fact um, should be placed under scrutiny at some point or another, um, you know, given whatever options. We still have to understand that there is a there is an agreed upon reality that everyone operates in, and the fact that our Earth is round, spherical, and not flat—that's part of that uh, collective consciousness of mankind. Now we create a lot of ideas in this collective consciousness of ours that we all sort of adhere in, and, and most of us really don't agree with actively. And that is that there's this invisible God who controls and created and really dominates everything. So to say that a flat earther is crazy while still acknowledging that some people believe in an invisible being, well, that's a crazy notion in and of itself. Their viewpoints are no less valid, though I think neither perspective has value, personally. But you know what? They're not hurting anyone, so who cares? I mean, enjoy... And here, here's one thing. This is sort of the way I look at it. I look at a movie. I watch horror movies a lot because I enjoy them. And I can suspend my belief in reality enough that I become scared during these movies. I get drawn in to them. If I watch a movie like Saving Private Ryan, you can bet your ass that I will have a tear at the end. Um... Bridge to Terabithia is one that really hit me hard. Um, and this is just a, a children, you know, it's that suspension of disbelief that I think Satanists have at least recognize more than other people. I don't know necessarily that they have it more, but they certainly recognize that they're doing it. But that doesn't mean that what they're experiencing is, is, is any less valid for that understanding. And so this is another one of those things where I look at conspiracy theories and I do it like a movie. I suspend my disbelief, and I enjoy it for what it is. An absurd, fun idea. 
but don't take it any further than that. Because the moment you start championing these insane ideas, the moment you stop questioning, that you stop being a skeptic, well then you are drawn in and you are just another sheep for another dogmatic view of the world. Whether it's being flat or whether it's invisible man guiding everything. And that's not satanic at all. So yes, I do know some Satanists that believe in some conspiracies. And for the life of me, I don't know whether they're doing it knowingly, with open eyes, or if they're really sucked into that conspiracy. Quite frankly, I don't care. But for me, if I'm going to enjoy a conspiracy just like I'm going to enjoy a book, or just like I'm going to enjoy a movie, it's with my eyes open and my mind constantly looking for that other perspective. And uh, in their own way. That's all flat earthers are doing. They're trying to take what they're told and look at it in a different way. If it's not harming anyone, who cares, man? It's fun. And I thought this was a really, really great one. Uh, really great. I have friends that are huge. They're not saying this, but they're huge conspiracy nuts. And I constantly get emailed from them saying, how can you believe this? Or how can you support this because of this? Because of this conspiracy. It's so obvious. Can't you see it? And it's always ridiculously complex. And it's always incredibly vague in its execution. But complex in its ideology. <laughs> it's, it's that sort of marriage of absurdity. Um, and all you can do is say, hey, you know what? I appreciate you for who you are. But you're insane. <laughs> Thanks for bringing this to me. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, I'm not going to mock them because, uh, you know what, everyone has their own little hang-ups and I cannot fault someone for trying to look at something in a different way. I think it's great. <laughs> Flat earthers, that's awesome. All right, let's move to the next article here. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this is CNN.com. How secure is your electronic vote? This is by Doug Gross, uh, updated November 3rd. In an era when shadowy hackers can snatch secret government files and humble big businesses with seeming ease, it's an unavoidable question as Election Day approaches. When we go to the polls, could our very votes be at risk? According to voting security experts, the answer can be boiled down to a bit of campaign speak. There are reasons for concern, and there is work to be done, but by and large, we're getting better off now than we were four years ago. And <laughs> that's like Obama's whole rant. We're better off now by and large than we were four years ago. <laughs> whether you believe it or not, whether it's true or not, that's it. In general terms, the nation as a whole is moving toward more resilient, more recountable, evidence-based voting systems, and that's a good thing, said Pamela Smith, president of the Verified Voting Foundation. We're better off than we were a couple of election cycles ago by a long shot, and we're better off than we were in the last election, too. We're seeing improvements, but we're still seeing immense challenges. This is actually paralleling the entire Obama campaign. This is funny. Since there have been elections, there has been tampering with votes. Archaeologists digging in a well-discovered a dump stash of 190 broken pottery shards that appeared to have been used by ancient Athenians for a vote in 471 BC. But in 2012, election security advocates are most worried about the bits and bytes of data stored in the electronic voting machines that millions of Americans will use to cast their ballot. More than 45 million U.S. voters or one out of every four who go to the polls, will cast a ballot on a machine that stores votes electronically. 
but doesn't create a paper ballot, according to the verified voting. Six states, Delaware, Georgia, Louisiana, Maryland, New Jersey, and South Carolina, use those machines exclusively, and they're used by a heavy majority of voters in another five, including presidential battleground states Pennsylvania and Virginia. Some of those paperless machines are also used in the key states of Ohio, Florida, and Colorado, where the presidential race is expected to be close. Hacking the vote, internet systems remain insecure. Paper trails. And actually, this is something I noted, because I voted early in our Utah, and what, what we have is the electronic machines, but they also have a paper ballot that's printed at the same time. So you enter in your vote electronically, and it prints out the paper ballot, you verify that, and then you submit it. I think that's really the best way that we can do it in our modern age because of the mistrust of electronic voting systems, but, you know, what can you do? Here's the problem, advocates say. When there's no physical ballot, it becomes next to impossible to determine whether there has been tampering or some other kind of irregularity in a close election. If the election is predicted to be a landslide, and then it is, really the problems we're concerned about aren't that big of a deal because everyone knows the election went the way it was supposed to, said Avi Rubin, a professor of computer science at Johns Hopkins University who specializes in computer security. But in cases like 2000's razor-thin Bush-Gore race, a lot of the Democratic supporters felt the election was stolen from them. That's a situation you can end up with in a very, very close election, so that's even more important to have any confidence in the election machinery. I, actually, you know what I just realized? That's one of the conspiracy theories that I actually buy into. I think the Florida uh, results were tampered with. So whether that conspiracy is true or not, you know what? I do have my own little conspiracies, and <laughs> that's one of them. Uh, that is, this appears to be the case in, again, in 2012. Most national polls placed President Barack Obama and Republican challenger Mitt Romney in a dead heat. Ironically, the electronic machines the experts now worry about began showing up in polling places as a reaction to Florida's messy 2,000-vote count, with its butterfly ballots and dimpled chads. In a nightmare for election officials, that race ended in controversy, with the U.S. Supreme Court halting a manual recount halting the recount and awarding the state and the presidency to George W. Bush. In the wake of that election, federal and state money flowed to update voting systems. Electronic vote officials acted quickly, I'm sorry, election, not electronic, too quickly, some experts say, to see potential problems. Machine error. As cumbersome and unsightly as Florida's recount was, at least it was a recount. With electronic voting, analysts says that if there's a question about vote totals, there is little to do other than press enter again, and let the same computer system that counted the votes the first time count them again. Spending money on a problem works best for well-understood problems, such as building roads or fixing bridges, reads a recent report from the Caltech-MIT Voting Technology Project created by the two schools in the wake of the 2000 election. Congress gave funds to the states immediately, so the states bought large numbers of voting systems that were then available, before new standards were developed and adopted. It's a good example of the maximum denoting, I'm sorry, of the maxim denoting precipitous action. Ready, fire, aim! 
Analysts like Smith and Rubin agree that the first concern with these systems is mechanical failure or human error. They cite cases like a 2006 Florida election in which electronic machines in one county recorded no vote in a congressional race on 18,000 ballots, even though it was the most high-profile contest on the ticket. Or the 2004 election in North Carolina when an overload machine lost 4,500 votes, affecting a race for state agricultural commissioner that was decided by fewer votes than that. Imagine how nervous you would be if the only copy of your term paper was on one disc somewhere, Ribbon said. Now we're talking about a whole bunch of votes sitting on a cartridge somewhere. Even before we worry about tampering, we have to worry about accidental loss. Vote hacking. While there have been no documented cases of foul play, experts say the potential for malicious hacking is very real. It would be simple, high school level programming project to do something like this, Rubin said. I've seen the code. A lot of the code has already been seen on the internet. You can see exactly how when encoded a ballot. Someone with proficient high school level programming capability would be able to do it. Definitely an experienced programmer could do it. He said a standard touchscreen voting machine could have its data changed with $20 worth of hardware and a paperclip. A fact that gets most troubling now that expanded early votes have put votes on machines stored in schools, churches, and other polling places for weeks before election day. As early as 2003, a team of researchers commissioned by the state of Maryland reported that machines from vendor Diebold were poorly engineered and showed a high risk of compromise. Their findings, as noted by the Caltech MIT report, included the fact that every one of the company's voting systems used the exact same secret encryption key. After a wave of negative press, including a 06 HBO documentary called Hacking Democracy, that explored the vulnerability of its electronic voting machines, Diebold removed its name from the voting systems in 07 and was later brought, bought by another company. Thankfully, critics say such issues are now being minimized on multiple fronts. However, there are still some concerns in hotly contested states like Ohio. While all machines in Ohio are equipped with printers that create paper ballots, about half of the counties in the state use this sort of touchscreen electronic machines that concern observers like Smith. Those machines have been retrofitted with printers. But tampering risks still exist, and comparing electronic ballots with separately creating paper ones can be confusing, analysts say. More secure? In the short term, observers like California Institute of Technology political science professor Michael Alvarez says election officials are also universally aware of the security risks that electronic voting presents. There are security issues associated with both the electronic voting machines that are used in polling places, as well as the ballots reading devices. In many cases, those kinds of security vulnerabilities are relatively well known at this point, said Alvarez, whose research includes voting technology. Many of them have been studied, although certainly new ones may arise, he said. Over the last four to six years, election officials throughout the country have tested and really tried to work to better those better securing those voting systems. With an eye to the future, election officials throughout the United States have stopped purchasing machines that don't create a paper trail, with a return to optical or digital scanning machines using paper ballots being the preferred alternative. 
Some states are retrofitting electronic voting machines with hardware that creates a paper ballot as well. Smith said it has been almost seven years since the last significant purchase of electronic voting machines in the United States. It's not always the newest, shiniest thing that's the best thing. And in voting, that tends to be particularly true, she said. In the meantime, she's got a simple piece of advice for anyone worried about the security of their ballot. The most important thing for voters to keep in mind is that one way to make sure your votes won't count is to not show up, she said. Whatever system is presented to you, avail yourself of it. Alright, so, why should you go out and vote if there is such a high chance of voter fraud? Well, there's just as high of a chance of none. The fact that there's been no proven cases should, uh, you know, alleviate that concern. And the bottom line is there are a number, there are a number of, of uh, benefits that you receive for being an American citizen. And this can be really translated to any other country that's sort of democratic in, in, in spirit. Uh, there are things you have to do in order to get the freedoms that you have. One of those serve jury duty, one of those is pay taxes, um, but you also get the benefit, and one of those is register for a draft if you're a male, uh, but the benefits is that you get to participate in your democracy. Now, the level of effectiveness of that participation, well, that's argued, <laughs> and rightly so, but the participation is the very civic duty that is truly the heart of what it means to be a citizen in whatever country you're living in. You are actively participating in your environment, in your society. That's huge. So even if you think that there's a chance that your vote's going to be hacked, just voting, just showing up, gives you the chance of having your voice heard. Even if you think that your vote means nothing, like I live in a very Republican state, and I rarely vote Republican, I still show up to vote. Because there's still a chance that my vote is going to sway that electoral college to go into a different direction. That is what's important. I, I love that idea that somehow by by not participating, and, and this is actually one of the very, very few ideas that I disagree with George Carlin on, although I, I really enjoy his presentation of it, is that by not voting, you have a right to say shit, to argue, because if you voted, then you're part of that problem. I think that's a bullshit answer. And, that, and that's actually a shitty way to look at it. Because the only way that you have a right to bitch about something is if you tried to stop it. And not showing up to the game table is not a way to stop it. That's just active non-participation. And I gotta tell you, and this is something that um, Magister Andremia, uh said in, in reaction to Satanists living in the world. And, you know... They have to at least be using lesser magic, because that's kind of part of what defines a Satanist, <laughs> is, is our uh, manipulating the world around us. If you're not voting, and she didn't say this, this is me saying this part. If you're not voting, you're not using that lesser magic potential. You're literally allowing the world to just bat you around politically. Now, you don't have to be a huge political advocate of anyone. But if there's, if, if there's an idea that you like, or if, if there's a movement that you enjoy or you want to support, get your ass out there and support it through the voting ballot. That's what it's there for. And if you're a citizen of a country, 
That's sort of your civil duty. Yeah, I said duty. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I'm not going to bitch you. As with any election, the majority of Americans will go out. The vast minority will not. And no matter what anyone says, won't change it. However, if you're a Satanist, you should be active in everything that affects your lives. And local politics directly affect your life. And national politics, eh, not as direct, but they do also affect you. You have to sort of look at that and realize it, because it's a reality. And uh, that's one thing that Satanists are, are pretty, pretty good about, is <laughs> accepting reality and manipulating it. So get out there and manipulate my man, or woman, or person non-gender specific <laughs> person <laughs> all right and that's gonna do it for the informal format hope you had fun it was really long <laughs> and actually i'm already at the hour mark and i haven't even done the creature feature ah. all right this is gonna be a long episode creature features up next oh god no just me <laughs> did you know that after the heart stops beating the brain can function for well over seven minutes. We got six more minutes to play. <coughs> Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature. Satanism demands study, not worship. Movies are a large part of how our modern culture experiences stories and themes handed down for generations. Many movies have been labeled satanic, from evoking the word devil to their complex aesthetics and narrative. My name is Adam Campbell. I sat down with a friend or two to watch a so-called satanic movie. This is that private conversation made public. Welcome to Nine Cents Presents... Satanists on Satanic Cinema. That is the intro scored by Gyps Fulvis. Thank you, man. You're awesome. And the video to that was actually produced by Kevin I. Slaughter, Abitur Design, I believe it is. Uh, go check him out. He's awesome. Of course, you know Kevin Slaughter if you've ever listened to this show. Reverend Kevin I. Slaughter. Uh, fantastic. He's been doing some amazing uh, camera work. And I reached out to him because what he does is so good and i mean this guy's gonna be making some serious money if uh, anyone ever picks him up for some freelance because uh really quality work okay so satanists on satanic cinema i i've been talking about this for a while on the show <clears throat> sort of promoting it and i finally came out with the first episode two weeks ago blue velvet i sat down with dave ingram and matt ingram and we watched blue velvet and we had a lot of fun so I, I sort of want to explain what this project is. I want to explain the feedback that I've gotten. I want to explain where it's going from here. This has really been a huge learning process for me. I always made this really horrid assumption that all I would have to do is imagine something, sit down and create it, and it would work flawlessly from there. But that really is not the case at all. As with any project that you start, 
people are going to have assumptions about what it means. Whether or not you've clarified those assumptions or not, people are going to think that this is what you're doing and this is why you're doing it and this is what it means and this is what's going to happen. And really what this whole entire project was um, is, is this idea that that we have a lot of satanic movies or supposed satanic movies out there and I've never heard commentary about them from actual Satanists in the satanic perspective. I mean, you have amazing podcasts like Terror Transmission, you know, who's actually run by Satanists, but they don't give you an overt satanic perspective, even though they do have satanic perspectives, of course. Um, it's just done as entertaining commentary. Well, I didn't really want to step on those toes because they do an amazing job and I, I have no interest in competing in that manner. What I wanted to provide was a humorous and entertaining with a decidedly satanic approach. So sometimes that means that we're going to talk about Satanism. Sometimes that means we're going to correct or address certain scenes or characters or themes in a movie that are satanic and how and why they're satanic. But that also means that we're really just going to sit down and watch a movie with a couple Satanists the way regular fucking Satanists watch a goddamn movie. And that's not to entertain and that's not to educate the listeners. Now, at the very end of that sort of vocal clip that I put on every promotional product I put out there, it says this is a private conversation made public. That means when I watch a movie with friends, I don't try to educate an invisible listener about what the movie is. I comment on the movie. Sometimes it's serious and most of the time I'm riffing on the movie. So I've gotten a lot of feedback, and not just from one person, but from a couple of people who thought this was going to be more of an educational tool, more of a commentary tool, um, and less overtly humorous. Um, but th I've never presented that as, as the reality of it. I mean, let's be honest. Satanism is not about uh, pretentiousness and, and, and over-dramatized seriousness for seriousness sake. We, we enjoy the time that we have. That means that I enjoy being funny and I enjoy making absurd comments because at my heart, I just want to laugh at what I say. And this entire show is based on that premise. But really, I want to make other people laugh too because what I say, I feel is of value to some people. The reality is, is that there's a lot of, there's a lot of non-Satanists out there labeling movies and talking about movies and, and calling them and defining Satanism when we should be defining it. Anton LaVey codified it. The Church of Satan is the standard bearer of it. But there are, are many people out there that still, they have no interest in finding out the truth because it, it doesn't really factor into their worldview. They just accept what they hear as reality and they move on. This is just one way, one small little way of hopefully correcting one small little bit. But also at the core, because I'm charging you for it, I want it to be entertaining. And if you don't find Matt Ingram and Dave Ingram entertaining, I question your sense of humor <laughs> because they're funny motherfuckers. And this movie was a lot of fun to do. Now, I've heard also from a lot of people who actually bought the episode and listened to the episode without preconceived ideas about what it was, and they genuinely enjoyed it, or at least they paid me that lip service. 
Uh, and the bottom line is, I have four of these. And if you find them of worth, then you will buy them and you will enjoy them. And if you do not, then you will not. And I won't produce any more. It's not a big deal. But I would like to produce more. I have a lot of other guests. So uh, if you do enjoy them, please support it. And, and, and let's get this project going. I put a lot of money into it with the audio, with the video, with the upfront costs in selling them that I have to recoup that money to make it a viable option. I mean, the reality is, is I have to be able to support my family in my regular job. So whatever sort of uh, entertainment um, funds I have allotted in my budget, I'm dumping into this show and into projects like this. So I want to make sure that at some level, if it's being appreciated, then I'm being helped along the way. I think this show is being appreciated. And so I'm hoping that these other projects that I'm a part of are going to be appreciated as well. And I, I get that the overt nature of a show called Satanists on Satanic Cinema leaves you with preconceived notions. But if you listen to my intro, if you watch the trailers that I put out, and if you know me as a, as a public figure, then you will understand what this is really about. It's not about educating Satanists. I have this platform for that. I don't need to do it in another way. It's about entertaining and clearing up misconceptions about specific films, scenes, and just enjoying good company with some fellow Satanists whom I really like and I had a hell of a good time watching some amazing films with. Um, some of them more amazing than others, <laughs> but, but that's really the bottom line, okay? Now, I want to address some pricing issues. I, I wanted to sell these at 99 cents and actually I am going to sell them all at 99 cents except there is one exception. iTunes Store forces a minimum price if it's over 10 minutes in length. And because this is a two-hour-plus uh, project that I'm putting out there, I have to sell it on iTunes only for $1.99. Now, what does that mean? It's a dollar more than you would pay if you go to Google+, Plus or if you go to Amazon MP3, or if you go to CD Baby. So, I mean, if you're a diehard iTunes fan, that shouldn't be a big deal. But even if you are, you can still buy it from one of those other venues and import it to iTunes or to your um, Apple device. So... That shouldn't be a barrier to you. However, if you want to get on iTunes and throw me a little, uh, you know, a couple extra cents, it's very much appreciated. Uh, but, but certainly not mandatory. And, and all I care is that it, you listen to this and you have fun with it. Because I did. And that's the point. <laughs> and that's the only point. Entertainment, maybe some education along the way. But uh, bottom line is it, it's fun. You know, that, that's really what it comes down to. Okay, and, and I'm actually this local, local, I don't know that. I've been drinking this Malbec and uh, it's late, so <laughs> my mind is dulling. Um, I have been editing the next episode. I have all of the episodes recorded. One of them I really want to re-record with participants, but it's kind of hard to get them together. So I'm hoping I can. Um, but they've all been recorded initially. I'm editing the second one and the next one I'm going to be releasing is with Storm and J.R. Tarina, and we watch The Ninth Gate. This was an amazing movie. All three of us love, have a true passion for this film, and it is a film. Um, we talk much more about Satanism 
and uh, satanic ideas than I did in Blue Velvet. <clears throat> Blue Velvet was much more of a fun movie and fun commentary. This is much more um, dealing with satanic issues. And that's kind of what it comes down to, too, because it depends on the movie that you're watching, you know, on, on how you address the satanic element in that movie. A lot of people have experience with these films, and they want me to somehow reach out in the same way that they experience them. And I just can't do that because I'm not them. I'm me. And, you know, we're going to go through this and we're going to enjoy it. And if you want to be a part of it, well, then suggest being a part of it. And if I do any more, I would be happy to have you on it. And then we can do it your way. And I would be happy to be a part of that. Absolutely. Because, uh, I mean, let's be honest. I think there's some amazing Satanists out there. And I would really love to watch a movie with some of them. <laughs> and I think, I think that there is an audience that would like to hear it as well. Especially if you've heard Blue Velvet, and certainly if you hear um, uh, The Ninth Gate when I release that. So my plan is, I, I'm finishing up the editing. I, it's synced with the movie completely. I've already done the intro for it, and I'm sort of going through and cleaning up any aberrant sounds and stuff like that. So when I'm done with that, it'll be probably another two or three weeks before it's available for purchase. And that should be long enough for you to pick up blue velvet and listen to it and understand what you have in store for you um i, I was going to have uh, matt ingram and dave ingram on and to sort of talk about the episode with me here today that didn't really pan out that well um but i think uh, i think now there should be a very clear idea of what this project is about and uh you know what if you if you want to be a part of it then uh you know support me and pick it up I would appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to me rant about it. And that's going to do it for another show. Another nine cents is over. Holy shit. I've been doing this for a long damn time. The horrific holiday episode is coming up. And I've been brainstorming about that lately and, and how I'm going to make it entertaining and very fun for you. Uh, that's sort of the, the next core episode. So uh, look forward to that. All right, um, I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. The holidays are rapidly approaching, and 9 Cents has provided something for them. From Asp Apparel's official 9 Cents clothing and accessories, found at aspapparel.com, to my children's book, How Crow Got His Scareback, found at Crow adampcampbell.com to my new project, Nine Cents Presents Satanists on Satanic Cinema, found at satanistonsatanicsinema.com. What could be better than the holidays with Nine Cents? Spread the word, help support the show, and make a statement without saying a damn thing. You can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for Nine Cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to 9cents via iTunes by searching 9cents, and don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit RadioFreeSatan.com, the source for online satanic media. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan!